There's great power in a name. It says who we are. It's what we are known by to all those around us. And there's nothing so powerful as the name of the Lord God. In a world that often feels chaotic and fear-filled, God's name is the one to hold close. In this series on the names of God, CMC pastors will be sharing the importance and emphasis of each name and revealing how they meet the needs of our everyday circumstances and situations. Join student pastor Josh Barnett in this series on the names of God. Welcome to our midweek service. I'm excited about sharing the word with you tonight. Uh, excited about our Names of God uh, series that we're continuing in tonight. Um, obviously, as we've been studying the names of God uh, found in the Old Testament, we're, we're coming to know the Lord uh, in a deeper way. I've really enjoyed uh, this series. just want to encourage you, if you've missed any, uh, get on our podcast, uh, get on our app, get on iTunes, get on Spotify, get on something. Um, we're everywhere, and you can, uh, you can listen to, uh, I think you can even watch them on Facebook. Um, so go listen to the ones if you've missed any of them, because they've been really, really, really good. Um, tonight, we're going to be... I, I got one that's just, it's kind of a mouthful to say. I don't know if Tim was picking on me. Um, <laughs> I'm no Hebrew scholar, so if I mispronounce this, don't judge me. Um, <laughs> but I got the one that's kind of a mouthful to say. Tonight we're going to be studying the name Jehovah Mekadeshkum. Jehovah Mekadeshkum. You like that? That's pretty good, right? Um, <laughs> it means the Lord who sanctifies. The Lord who sanctifies. And it's actually, it's actually mentioned two places in the Old Testament. The first place is in Exodus 31, chapter 13. It says, but as for you, speak to the sons of Israel saying, you shall surely observe my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And the second place is in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8. It says, You shall consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my statutes and practice them, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now, Jehovah Mekadeshkim is often condensed, condensed to Jehovah Mekedesh. Mekedesh is a little bit easier to say, but, but we, we get this name of God because the Hebrew word Kedish actually means to sanctify. And it actually appears hundreds of times all throughout Scripture in the Old Testament and New Testament, Kedish, to sanctify. Now, sanctify means to set apart as sacred, to make holy, to consecrate, to purify, and to even set, set you free from sin. And now I love the verse in Exodus because it talks about, it basically says like, you're going to observe my Sabbath day because that's the day that I've set apart. And we're just like the Lord set apart a day he also wants us to be a people set apart. So just as a, a day of the week is set apart, he also wants us to be a people set apart. Now, it's really cool that I got this name because this name goes right along with our theme that we're studying this year, which is a holy generation. We've been talking about being a holy generation all year long, and this just goes perfect to us. And even the, our theme verse is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. goes right along with it. So I'm going to read it. It says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the grace of salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you as holy. And he's, he's quoting Leviticus there when he says, For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Now I believe that, that God has a great life for us to live. I believe that he has an amazing life for us to live. But to experience this great life, we've got to be delivered from slavery and be set apart unto him. God delivered the Israelites out of slavery 
from Egypt, and he did it for a purpose. It actually says in Exodus there that he delivered them from slavery so that he could, ge- so he could be Jehovah Makedesh to them. So he did it to sanctify them. He wanted his own people, a people would, that would do things his way. He wanted a people that didn't look like the rest of the world. That want, he wanted a people that was holy like he was holy. God knew, and God knew he was taking the Israelites into a land flowing with milk and honey, actually continuing in Leviticus chapter 20. He says, you will possess their land because I will give it to you as a possession, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from all other people. You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I've set you apart from all other people to be my very own. As he was sending them into a land that, that was full of blessings and God knew that many times blessings produce lots of temptations. Many times, the, many times we abuse the blessings of God, and that's actually our sin, is that we, we take his things and we use them for our own use instead of the way that he wants us to use them. But he was leading the people into this land flowing with milk and honey, meaning it was really, really blessed. And this land was full of a lot of evil people groups. It was full of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and go, go on down the list of all the ites. But they were there. And they were really bad, they were really evil, and God knew that he was sending him into the land surrounded by lots of evil people, and he knew that temptation was going to be right around the corner for all of them. But he wanted the people that would do things his, his way, that they would be holy, that they would be here to build his kingdom. He knew surrounded by these people who thought differently, who talked differently, who lived differently, that it would be a major temptation for them. And now you can kind of see already that how this, kind, this parallels our own life, that when we are at work, when we go into the world, we're around lots of people who might think differently, who might talk differently, who might act differently, but we are not called to act like the world. We are called to actually, Ephesians 5, 1, imitate God. We are actually supposed to be set apart, a holy generation where people can look at us and see there's something different about us. There's something different. When you hit your thumb with that hammer, you didn't say the word that everybody else says. Something different came out of you. What, why are you like this? And that's God wants us to be a holy generation. Um, the world standards don't produce the kind of life that God has for us. When we try to live by the world standards and do things the world's way, it's not going to fill you with joy. It's not going to fill you with peace. It's not going to give you the abundant life that God actually has for you. You're not going to have the blessed life that God actually has for us. And in order to keep God's protection and provision, the Israelites were going to have to be a holy people, and that is why he is Jehovah Makedesh. Sometimes, or, or something that is being sanctified, it's set apart. It's set apart from the common, it's set apart from the ordinary, from the regular things. It really means that it's something that's special and new, unique, and God wanted his people to be different than the people around them. He was taking them into a land full of blessing, but they were only going to prosper if they did, did things his way. It, it's in Deuteronomy. You, you can choose life or you can choose death. You can choose blessings or cursings. It was actually God laid it out really simple. <laughs> if you do things my way, you're going to be blessed. If you don't do things my way, you're going to be cursed. It, but we've got to understand even our own life, like God wasn't trying to take all their fun away. He wasn't, he, God's not trying to take all of our fun away. Actually, it's quite the opposite. When God calls us to be holy, when he calls us to not love the world, it, it, he's not calling us into a life of boredom. He's not trying to take all the fun out of it. Quite the opposite. Psalm 1611 says that in his presence, there is fullness of joy. 
And in his right hands, there are gifts forevermore. So his presence, his glory, his goodness is overwhelming, and it's way better and way more satisfying than anything the world has to offer. A life lived in God's presence, a life lived under the way that God wants us to live our lives is way more satisfying than a life trying to do things our own way or trying to do things the world's way. Now, we can adopt a worldview outside of his standards and and, and hopes that it works well, um, but I'm, I'm just going to let you know it doesn't produce peace, it doesn't produce joy. Um, I want you to know this, that you, you can't go against design and expect to get a greater result. God is the designer of life. He's actually, he's design, if he's the creator, if he's the designer, he's designed life to work a certain way. And he's actually designed it well, and he's actually designed it for there to be a lot of awesome, amazing, pleasurable things in this life. And when we distort design, there might be a season of instant gratification, but there will also be a season of destruction. There might be instant gratification, but there will also be destruction and death that follows. We can't mess with the design and expect to get a different result. And now, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells the Corinthians to remove a man from their church who wouldn't come into repentance. They were calling out his sin and they wouldn't come into repentance. And so Paul actually tells them to remove him. Actually, he actually says, turn him over to Satan. Yeah, it's pretty, it seems pretty harsh, like, geez, Paul. Turn him over to Satan. But Paul understood that if, he, if, if, you will make, if he's not going to repent and you'll make him leave your church, turn him over to Satan, and when he sees what this destructive lifestyle causes in him, it will actually cause him to repent and come back to the Lord. Paul understood that if that happened, it was actually a blessing to the man and not a curse to the man. It's actually a blessing to the man, not a curse to the man. And um, we, we can't preach moral standards to people if we're not living them in the church. We have, to, we have to deal with sin in the church. We have to deal with and address our sins or we're empowering people where they're going to die. It's like, it's like seeing somebody in a house burning down. You go inside and you try to get them out. You try to let them know. You don't look through the window and go, it looks like they're having fun in there. I guess I'm not going to say anything. No, like we're, we're actually called to like, hey, get out. Like God has got something so much better for you. Come out. And you know, as we're talking about this tonight, because we are talking about the Lord that sanctifies, that we're going to be talking about maybe some issues that you're currently struggling with. And I don't want you to understand, like, I'm not talking about your past. Your past is your past. You've been forgiven. But if it's your present, let's deal with it. Let's get our hearts right with the Lord tonight. Um, I want you to understand, God didn't make you to sin. He didn't make you to sin. Jesus' blood is actually freedom from sin. And I've heard this quote before, that if you don't think that you can be free from sin until you die, then Jesus isn't your savior, death is. I really believe that Jesus comes to set us free from our sin. You are not stuck in a lifestyle of sin. To say that you were born this way and that you can't get out of it is an absolute rebuttal to the purpose of the blood of Jesus. The death of, I don't believe that the death with Jesus was in vain. (laughs) You can't dismiss the cross because of your inability to get out of sin. And Jesus never asked you to get out. He said that he would help you. Jesus comes in and helps you get out of your sin. And, and, and listen, we're going to talk about sanctification tonight, but sin is not something that you're supposed to wean yourself off of. You know what I'm saying? You're going to tell, you tell a serial killer, like, only kill one this week. No, of course not. Like, stop killing. <laughs> 
please stop killing. Like, if you're a thief, like, I'm only going to steal a little bit. No, stop stealing. Like, it's, we cut it off. We get out of the slavery. We get out of the sin. <laughs> but, but until we pursue him and we experience this sanctification, Jehovah Mechadishkim is just a weird name. <laughs> Jehovah Mechadish is just a weird name. Until you pursue the God who sanctifies, you'll never really walk in freedom. You'll never really be sanctified. When you, and it's, what's incredible is actually when you consecrate yourself, when you start to pursue him, you actually begin to lose your desire for your old ways. You actually begin to lose your sinful desires. You actually begin to desire him. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he finds acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think, which actually is repentance. Repentance means to change the way that you think. Then you will learn God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. First Thessalonians, I'm going to read a few verses here from First Thessalonians. It's just incredible. Chapter 3, verse 12 through 4, verse 8. If you want to follow along with me, you can. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12 through 4, chapter 4, verse 8. Verse 12 says, And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. Verse 13, May he, he as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with his holy people. Chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3. It is God's will for you to be holy, so stay away from sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion, like the pagans who don't know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenged all such sins, that's kind of scary, um, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives. He's called us to be a holy people, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is, diso- is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his Holy Spirit because God actually, his desire is to transform us from the inside out. His desire is to transform us. It takes place first on the inside, and then it begins to come on the outside. It's, it's the heart first, and then it comes out in our actions, in our, our daily activity. God knows that if, if the heart changes, then the actions will follow. What religion does is religion concerns itself with the outside while neglecting the inside. And if we just try to clean up the outside... We end up like Pharisees. We end up like white, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. That you look pretty on the outside, but on the inside you're full of death. On the inside you're full of sin. On the inside you're full of hate. It's, it's, it all starts with the heart. See, the problem, the problem with a thief is, is not his hand. His, my hand doesn't make me steal things, right? If that was the case, just cut my hand off. But if stealing is still in my heart, I'm going to steal with my other hand. You can handcuff me, but if there wasn't a heart change, I'm just going to go back to stealing again. It has to be an inward transformation. The inside has to get cleaned out before the outside can become clean. See, sanctification, sanctification is not conforming to rules. Sanctification is inward transformation. 
where your desires and your thoughts and your worldview begin to change because of what Jesus did for us. See, God puts his spirit in us and it begins to change us. And I want to read real quick from the Passion Translation just because I really like the way it worded it. It's Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 18. It says, by God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, the Messiah. Yet every day, priests still serve, richly offering the same sacrifices again and again, sacrifices that never take away sin's guilt. But when this priest, Jesus, who has offered the one supreme sacrifice for sin for all time, he sat down on the throne at the right hand of God, waiting until all his whispering enemies are subdued and turned into his footstool. And by one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. This is the amazing part where the Holy Spirit comes in. The Holy Spirit confirms this to us by this scripture. For the Lord says afterwards, I will give them this covenant. I will embed my laws into their hearts and fasten my word into their thoughts. And then he says, I will never ever remember their sins and lawless deeds again. So if sins have been forgiven and forgotten, why would we ever need to offer sacrifice for sin again? But I love that amazing part where it says, I will give them this covenant. I will embed my laws into their hearts and fasten my word in their thoughts by the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of us, he begins to change us from the inside out. He actually writes the law of God on our hearts, which is amazing. (laughs) So just want to free you tonight. You don't get sanctified by trying harder. You don't get sanctified by repeating a prayer. (laughs) It happens through an encounter. It happens through when you, when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of you and he begins to change you. And as you continue this relationship, as you get close to the Lord, he begins to give you his heart. He begins to give you his thoughts. You begin to act like him and talk like him. You begin to get his law in you and it comes out of you every single day, but it only comes through cultivating that relationship with him. But God is the one who sanctifies He is the one who makes us holy. Nothing that we have done, nothing that we have done, but what, by the work of the cross, we are made holy by the blood of the cross. Now we have to see ourselves as holy. God has sanctified you. He has saved you. He has washed you clean. And the only way that you begin to see that on the outside is when you believe it's happened on the inside. See, real, genuine sanctification begins to take place when we get a revelation of our righteousness. When we get a revelation of our life, Romans 5, 1 talks about how we have been justified, that we have now been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. That, listen, my right, Isaiah talks about how our, our righteous actions are like filthy rags, which is really gross, I'm not going to go into it. But our righteousness are like filthy rags. But no longer is my righteousness like filthy rags because it's no longer my righteousness. My righteousness is now the righteousness of Christ. And this is, this is a big revelation that we've got to get here. You know, I appreciate Gloria Gaither and the Gaither vocal band, but I'm no longer a sinner saved by grace. I'm no longer a sinner saved by grace. you look at me like, Gloria Gaither, who's that? <laughs> but I'm no longer a sinner saved by grace. So you actually, I, I don't find that in the Bible. I, I find these other things that God begins to tell me. I was a sinner. And I was saved by grace, but once I was saved by grace, God now calls me a holy priest. He now calls me a saint. He now says that I'm a son. He now says that I'm a part of a holy generation, okay? 
Don't believe me? 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Verse 21. For God made he who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become not my righteousness, but the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. (laughs) You're not ever going to live a holy life that's pleasing to God until you really believe that he sanctified you. Until you really believe that he sanctified you. Until you really believe that he calls you blameless. In Romans 5, it says that he declares you not guilty. That he declares you innocent. That I have now been seated in righteousness. You know, this is crazy. It's like five out of six prisoners are arrested again within nine years for doing the same thing. And actually, more than 70% of people who are arrested are arrested again for the same crime they committed before. Because fear of judgment doesn't change anybody. Fear of judgment doesn't change anybody. See, we actually have to rewire the way that we think. What changes people is when they actually believe that they are innocent again. When they actually believe that they are innocent again. Many times the reason that we keep sinning is because we feel guilty from the last time we sinned. We see religion and legalism says that you're not changing because you don't feel guilty enough. Because you don't feel the weight of it, you don't really know how bad you actually are. And the reason that we're reciprocating behavior is because we still feel guilty for the last time that we did it. Religion thinks that transformation comes by staring at how bad you are. But the only way that you get real transformation and real freedom is by seeing how good he is. Okay, did you get that? Religion tries to pull you out of sin by showing you how bad you are. I already know how bad I am. (laughs) I already know how ugly I am. I already know how shameful I am. Religion tries to make you feel more shameful and more guilty thinking that it's going to change you. But what it actually does is it causes the opposite effect. It causes you to run back to your filth. Our guilt and shame makes us feel as though we're not worthy to be in God's presence, that he is mad at us, that we have, to, uh, we have to back up a little bit and by my good efforts, then maybe I can appease him and come into his presence. But what God actually wants to do is he wants to show you how good he is. He wants to show you Jesus. John three sixteen does not say, for God so hated the world that he murdered his son. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Romans chapter two says that it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So what really empowers us to walk in repentance, to be a holy generation that he is calling us to be is not by seeing how bad we are, but by seeing how good he is. Goodness is the drawing agent of the Holy Spirit. He sanctified me. He sanctified me. He saved me. He calls me righteous. He calls me holy. He's, he's actually crazy about him. Like, do you know, like when Jesus, I remember the moment I was on my knees in the back of a restaurant that I worked for. I was on my knees and the Holy Spirit came and wrapped his arms around me and he didn't come calling me the prodigal son, telling me that I needed to sit there and think about what I did. He actually came and he told me, I've got so much more for you. I've got so much more for you. Here is what I want to do with your life. Your life can actually be amazing. It doesn't have to keep going like this. His goodness is what drew me in. Simply put, sanctification is a process by which God sets us apart from our sin. To sanctify means to set apart, to separate, to be holy, to be consecrated. But sanctification, 
I want you to know tonight, sanctification is not learning how to manage sin cycles. Sanctification is learning how to walk in freedom. It's not learning how to struggle your way through life. It's, beca- it's actually becoming free from the struggle. That's what sanctification is. That's the gospel. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the spirit is inside of me so I can walk in freedom. Greater is he, is he that is in me than he that's in the world. He's in me so I can be free. You know, I, I teach apologetics here at Leaders Academy and at CMA. And I think apologetics are great, but apologetics never proved anything to me. I don't, the gospel is not scientific. The gospel is experiential. Here's the gospel is that I used to be addicted to pornography and I'm not addicted anymore. The gospel is that you used to be addicted to crack and you're not addicted anymore. The gospel is that your marriage was in shambles, that you should be divorced. And now it's amazing that you're Now it's like your marriage. It's like you're still on the honeymoon. It's like you've been married for 15 years and every day is like a date. That is the gospel. (laughs) The gospel was I was depressed and now I have indescribable joy. The gospel was I was losing my mind with anxiety and now I have unexplainable peace. It was that I was sick and now I'm healed. That I was dead and now I'm alive. That's the gospel. So my definition of sanctification is you sitting at his feet until he burns out all the bad with his goodness. What it really is is your death, your burial, and your resurrection, that you're dead and now you're alive. You get sanctified by being with him, by being in his presence. He sanctifies you. It's in his presence that you learn that he's better than anything, that he's better than pornography, that he's better than alcohol, that he's better than drugs, that he's better than sex, that he's better than adultery, that he's better than money, that he's better than fame, that Jesus is better than everything. When you get close to him, I promise you he will sanctify you. I'm a walking testimony. He has brought me into freedom, and it only came from me sitting in his presence. It only came from me getting close to him. And if we don't change our thinking concerning our past, then we won't see our present or our future appropriately. You know, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they wanted to go back to Egypt. All they had ever known was being a slave. All they had ever known was being a slave, but God brought them out of slavery to sanctify them to be a chosen people. You know, maybe if the Israelites had looked ahead towards the promised land, perhaps they would have enjoyed the wilderness on the way. If they would have thought about what was coming instead of looking behind them, (laughs) they would have enjoyed the wilderness on the way. I believe that God brought me out of slavery to enjoy freedom. I, I believe that I've been really saved. I believe that I'm set free. I believe that I have an abundant life. And this might be too word of faith for you, but I believe that I can be happy, healthy, and blessed. I believe that I can be happy, healthy, and blessed. (laughs) Religion, what religion tries to do is it tries to make us think that all the good stuff is when we die and go to heaven. But when Jesus said, I've come to bring you life and bring it to you more abundantly, I, man, I think he meant right now because you, you can come over to my house and be with my wife and my kids and it's like heaven. It's amazing because God has sanctified us. In our home, we center our home around the Lord. We center our home around Jesus. Heaven's going to be great, but I don't believe that God's saving all the good stuff for heaven. (laughs) I I refuse to believe that I'm supposed to get my brains kicked in for the next 60 years. I refuse to believe that. Just by reading the Bible. (laughs) Reading the Bible, I see all these amazing things that I can have right now. If you don't see your past right, you'll never see your future right. 
Some of you can't see your now right because you're still being identified by what you were brought out of. And I want you to know tonight that what he brought you out of is not who you are, it's what you went through. What he brought you out of is not who you are, but what you went through. So read the letters from the Apostle Paul and tell me where you can find his shame and his guilt. I can't find it. It's not in there. And this man was murdering Christians. This man was murdering Christians. But Paul was sanctified. So much so that he changed his name from Saul to Paul. He really believed that he was so transformed by his encounter with Christ on the Damascus road that he never let his past impede his future. The Lord who sanctifies me, he calls me beloved, he calls me righteous, he declares me innocent. And, you know, God didn't bring me out of slavery so that I could change the world. He brought me out of slavery simply so that I could be his. Now, I can change the world by being his, but he brought me out of the world because I want you to know that, that, that God loves you. Like he loves you like 100%. Like 100% all the time. Like it, if I came in here tonight and I preached the most amazing sermon that's ever been preached in the history of Christian ministries and we had, we had tons of people get saved and all kind of stuff to, and people got healed and you know, people were crying and it was just an amazing move of God. You know when I left this place that God would not love me any more than he loves me right now? He wouldn't love me any more than he loves me right now. He loves me 100% all the time. Not based on what I do, but based on that he's God and he sanctified me, he saved me, and he calls me his son. You know, G- Jesus, when, when, when Jesus was baptized and he rose out of the water and God said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, he said that before Jesus had done anything. He said that before Jesus had done anything. And I I just want, that is a picture of the way that God feels about us because it's nothing that you can do to earn his, to earn his grace. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. There's nothing that you can do to sanctify yourself. He sanctifies you. He is the one that sanctifies you. Nothing I could have done would have made me righteous. It's not my good works. It's not in the doing that we are saved. It's in being beloved comes before anything that we do. And when we get the revelation that we are holy because he made us holy, that's when we start living holy. You get that? When we get the revelation that we are holy because he made us holy, that's when we start living holy. John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. He says that first and then he says, if you love me, you will obey me. And we've got to see that key there, that the abiding, the remaining, the beholding is what gives us the grace to obey. When we are simply with him, he gives us, his grace empowers us to obey him. We have to find our satisfaction in the fact, not not just the reality that we are sanctified, that nothing I will do will sanctify me. It's not obeying the law that makes me holy, it's being raised with Christ that makes me holy. It's not about works, it's about what he did. He sanctified me, he set me free. Now in him, through him, and empowered by him, I can actually walk this out every day. But I have to see myself as sanctified before I have the power to walk it out. If I just see myself as a sinner, if I just see myself as an addict, if I just see myself as a failure, if, if you live your life trying not to fail, you're gonna fail. 
But if you live your life focused on Jesus and realizing the power that lives on the inside of you and what he's actually called you to do, if you focus on him, you don't have to live like a failure. You don't have to fail. He actually will help you walk in freedom. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Josh Barnett has been crucified. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I get that sometimes there's a process of sanctification. Some, we get, you get saved and you don't, you know what I'm saying? You don't know how to talk. You don't know how you're supposed to work. You don't know the, the things that you're, that you're supposed to do. You, you kind of, you're learning the heart of God. You're learning the heart of God. But this sanctification process leads us to freedom. We don't have to white knuckle the steering wheel of life waiting for that sweet by and by. We can actually walk in freedom. Romans chapter 6 verse 6 says we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. So sin no longer has power over me. Romans 6 goes on to say that I am actually a slave to righteousness, not to sin. I I believe that conviction of sin is part of the process of sanctification. Conviction of sin is where where God puts his finger on something and says, give me that. Give me that. Conviction is never, if you feel conviction for something that you've done, it's not that God's mad at you. What God is saying is I want that because I've got more for you. I've got more for you because God knows that sin hinders our relationship with him. Sin hinders the abundant, blessed life that God has for us right now. It hinders that. It's because he wants to give us more of himself. He is Jehovah, try to say this one more time, Mekedeshkim, Mekedesh. He is the God who sanctifies. He is the God who sets free. He is the God who makes us holy. We are a holy generation because he is a holy God. Did y'all get something out of this? Thank you for joining us each week for the CMC podcast. CMC has so much to offer. We host summer camps for all ages, a Christian school K-4 through 12th grade, youth conferences, a college-age internship, and much more. Go to cmchurch.com for more information about all the great things CMC has for you. 